just really appreciate all that has been shared and, and just the singing has been very good and <coughs> yeah, just really enjoyed it, appreciated it. Maybe just a, uh, a couple words before I go into the message, but just didn't really have the opportunity last Sunday to say much, but in relation to our time at uh, the Minister's Week, Pastor's Week at SMBI, uh, I would agree with what Laverne shared, just it was very encouraging. Uh, I just again want to thank you for your prayers. Glad and I both just felt very carried. Um, the, uh, the, the first day for me, I was, yeah, I was a little intimidated, you know, standing in front of a, uh, a class of pastors. So I struggled a little bit. Glad came back. Boy, she was just all pumped, and she was, yeah, she was ready to go for the next one, you know. And uh, But after that, I just, yeah, it sort of loosened up, and it really was good. I had met good friends and just uh, reacquainted, and, and uh, Merle Brookholder, many of you know, uh, had a class, and, and just really uh, inspiring. Um, he has a gift of telling stories in his presentations that are just captivating and just a real gift in that uh, just amazing they just roll out of him somewhere I don't know and I told Glad, you know I, I'm convinced that he doesn't have a whole lot more experiences you know that are uh, out of the ordinary than what I do he just knows how to tell them you know <laughs> and uh, so somehow I gotta get get uh, develop that gift I don't know but Val Yoder had the, the other one I was unable to attend quite all the classes just because I needed to prepare some, but uh, yeah, I was just very inspired. And then I just, uh, yeah, just in relation to some of the trauma that happened this past week uh, in relation to the Yoder family and Keith and Herms, and I think it's just our, it's our opportunity as a body to to just step in there and put our arms around them and walk with them and and uh, show what community is like. I'm just amazed how God orchestrates. Even in the message today, some of the very things that God laid on my heart to share and just how it fits with some of the things that happened this past week and what it means to live in community and in brotherhood and, and how that fleshes out in real life. Uh, we just have opportunities to do that. And uh, there's a lot of people that don't know what that looks like. And uh, I, I just think it's, it's I just uh, think it's so. Uh, God's design, and so this morning we want to welcome you back to the uh, to the study on the New Testament ecclesiology, and today we want to look at the church at Philadelphia. I've just entitled it "An Example of Faithfulness." It is one of those churches that uh, really had nothing but good to say about them, and um, I just uh, I, I'm keenly aware that you know it's been a little bit of time. By the way, I just wanted to say too. Uh, at the onset that uh, I know it's been a little bit of time, quite a gap between the last message and this one. And so when you're doing a, a, a series, why it's, it's, uh, I don't like that long of a gap because it's sort of hard to keep you know, current. But I'm sure you all noticed that Keith uh, preached twice in a row. And that's because he volunteered to take my place before we left for the pastor's week. He knew I had been a lot of studying, a lot of preparing, and, and so he volunteered, and I just want to thank you publicly for that, Keith. Trish, appreciate that a lot, but it did create a little bit more of a gap, but we want to bring it back. It's the fifth of the seventh churches, sorry, the sixth of the seven churches 
that we are going to look at these churches that were in Asia Minor and uh, and of course the uh, the story that it says about them. I want to start reading the passage in verse 7 of chapter 3 and um, read uh, what, uh, what it says. And to the angels of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my commandments to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a little... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write his name on, sorry, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, there's a lot in this passage of Scripture. There's a lot of different directions that we're going to go. And, and I'll just say right up front that there's a lot of things I'm not going to say about this passage of Scripture. But I am going to pick up on a few key things that really stood out to me and what I want to share with you. Uh, one, of the, the, one of the things that I just want to remind you again is that in each of these churches, this historical community of believers... Uh, were real people, and, and they were real churches living in real cities. And, uh, and they appear to us not as, not as just tidbits of historical information, but, but really uh, examples of what, what uh, the different kinds of churches that can even exist today. And so I just want to recap a little bit on several of the uh, other churches, on the various of, uh, lessons that we learned. One of the churches that we looked at, uh, we saw that they fought valiantly uh, against error and heresy. In fact, it says that they hated evil, but they lacked on love. Now, Scripture says that love never fails. Yet, we fail when we do not love. And so, these people didn't love the way that they should love. The next one that we saw is that they exhibited love only to be condemned for a lack of sound doctrine and a tolerance of sin. They were a permissive church, and uh, they had the love thing nailed down, but they really missed it uh, because love superseded truth. And so we need to be careful that we don't, we don't err on, on one side or the other. The first group didn't love. The second group loved, but they were, they were erring on the side of truth. The next church that we looked at <clears throat> was spiritually alive, 
but they were uh, also persecuted for their faith. And, and the warning that came to them is that they should not fear those who can destroy the body, but they're supposed to fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, like Jesus said. And so that's a kind of uh, a church that, that we looked at as well. The next one, the next group of people, says that they were rich in works, love, service, faith, and patience, but they became spiritually dead because the corruption they allowed to permeate their culture uh, was, was influenced by the greater culture around them. The, the mainstream culture in their day, they assimilated to, and they lost their, they lost their, their, their witness. And I think that's a very real, uh, even very real for us today. I think the Western church uh, is, is very um, guilty in a lot of ways of assimilating to the culture to try to win the culture. That is not God's design. We should never stoop to the world's value system in order to reach them. Now, I'm not saying that we do. It's In fact, the, the, the term stooping to help the sinner elevates you above the sinner. See, that's not even Jesus' plan. We, we, are, we do not stoop down to help somebody. We are with them. And that's really God's way. So the last one then <clears throat> that we saw is that in our, in, our, in our ancient brothers, it says that they were alive or they had a name that they were alive. But the sad reality was that they were spiritually dead. And uh, there was a lot of activity going on. From the outside, it looked like, boy, they had a real good thing going. But spiritually, they were dead. <clears throat> they were involved in the wrong kinds of activities. And uh, so the, the instruction to them was be watchful and, and strengthen what remains. I think we see the same thing or very similar to that today again. So that their name, it says, would not be removed from the book of life. I've asked myself many times, and I know you've heard me ask this or say this before, but I've asked myself many times through this study of Scripture, if, if God were to give an honest evaluation of this congregation, what were he to say? I just wonder what he would say about us. You know, sometimes we're so close to a situation that we can't see our blind spots. And that's why it's helpful for, and I've had people do that to me. I just told a story years ago at, at the pastor's week about a man that came to me years ago, and uh, he, he pulled me aside, and listen, he had no agenda because he had nothing at stake. Um, but he pulled me aside, and he said, James, I've just observed that you spend a lot more time with Austin than you do with Bronson, and I'm just concerned about that. And uh, I just uh, would encourage you to, to uh, make sure that you don't neglect your second son. Well, I was so blind, I was so close to the situation. My first response to myself, I didn't tell him that, but my first response, that's not true, you know. But you know, uh, fortunately, by the grace of God, I, I took his, I took his advice, and then God just began to, you know, Bronson's personality when he was young was very shy. He was very clingish to glad, and Austin 
was right in there with me. If I had a hammer, he had to have a hammer. If I mowed lawn, he had to mow lawn. And so it was just easy for me to give a lot of attention there because he was not right there with me. When I went to town, he wanted to go to town. Bronson was okay with staying at home. But as he shared that with me, I began to try to really be aware of that and try to include him. And, and I'm so glad he did. Today, we can sit on the uh, phone for, you know, for, for an hour just talking about life and what's happening and really having a heart-to-heart talk with, with each other. And maybe that wouldn't have happened if I would have <coughs> neglected <coughs> that relationship. It wasn't that I was intentionally neglecting the situation. I was so close to it, I couldn't see it. And so I'm just saying that to say, I wonder what God would say about us here. That's a good question to ask. Now, the sobering realization is that he, in fact, is assessing us even today. And someday we will give an account of how we lived out our church experience and and our body experience. In case you think that God's standard is so high that it is impossible for any person or any congregation to achieve his level of expectation, I've got great news for you. Because I can point you to somebody who actually did that. And that is the Church of Philadelphia. Uh, They lived in a way that God said, hey, good job, good job. You're my kind of people. You're the kind of person that I really think you're an example of faithfulness. Their lives bear witness of a group of children, of God's children, who who were regenerated not only externally, but they were regenerated internally. And, and, and so what we, what we have to bear in mind as we think about that is that whenever we see an external compromise taking place, whenever we see somebody that's, that's compromising on the outside, we can be sure that there's an internal disconnect going on. And uh, that's, that's what's really driving the action. The Philadelphians lived right because their heart was right. couple things that it says, four things that it says about them. It says, you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. You have kept my commandments. These are four of the things that God said about this church. They had strength. They had strength because they were not depending on themselves. They trusted in something that was much greater than themselves. If you have nothing other than yourself to trust in, at some point in your life, you will come up against a situation that you have no clue where to turn to. We had a very good friend in Suneros, and she was a fiery little woman. <laughs> a stature about that tall, maybe a little taller, and just petite and small, but everything in her life she was who she was because of what she did. And she made no hesitations to tell you that way. And she went through some hell-on-earth experiences. And uh, she fought and clawed her way through life. And uh, at age 32, 33 years old, she was who she was because of what she did. But you know what? All of a sudden, she was diagnosed with MS. And now what? And fortunately, 
we had a, a good relationship to where we were able to share Jesus Christ to her. Secondly, they kept God's word. They kept God's word because his logos was part of who they were. That is who, that is, that was their life. You see, when someone is compromising on the word, you can be very sure that the word of God is not firmly established in their hearts. When the word of God is embedded in someone's heart, then you will see a lifestyle that coordinates according. And uh, so when somebody tells me that and we get into a spiritual conversation, and I've had this happen numerous times, and they say, oh, you're a religious person. I, I tell them right there, I say, no, no, no. Let's stop right there. It's not religion. It's not religion. If it's just religion, I wouldn't waste my time. It's a lifestyle. It's who I am. It's what I am. Big, big difference. They did not deny his name because they honored the one who they respected. You don't mind being identified with someone you respect. If a child does not honor his parents, it is because it is a clear indication that there is a parent-child disconnect going on. There's not some, and depending on the extent of this disconnect, a child may not even want to be identified with the family name. So you don't mind being identifying with someone that you respect. This past week, I had numerous occasions of talking to some customers who walked in at Air Cabinet, and uh, and I always sort of, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, I don't see myself as being a salesman, although that's, I guess, my title, but I always think of, I always like the challenge of trying to convince them that they, uh, that they want our product. Now, I can freely do that because I am unashamed of the product that I represent. At the end of one of the conversations with a couple from St. Joe, Michigan, who's building a new house, the, cus the husband just made the comment, well, you made a very good presentation about your product. And the, and the, the reason, the, the, the part of what drives my incentive to make a good presentation to a customer who has never heard of Air Cabinet before is that I'm totally sold on the product. Uh, I'm not ashamed of it. Um, my job to, uh, is to convince the customer that the investment that they make into the product that I sell is worth more than the money that is in their pocket or wherever they have it. I don't know where rich people keep it. Uh, but it's my job to make, them to make them understand and aware that, that the product that I have is worth more than the money that's in, that, they, that they have. But I could not do that if I were not convinced that what I have is really worth the investment. And it's, it's, the, it's the same with, with the, with, with the, uh, with the uh, church. The same was true for the, the uh, Philadelphians. They did not deny God because their heart was deeply connected to the one that they were representing. 
Jesus said, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, why will God deny those who deny him? Is it because he is sadistic and is looking for a way of, of punishing people? Is that why? Or is it because he retaliates against those who treat him bad? No, that's not why. The reason he denies them before the Father is because their heart is not convinced about him, that he's the real deal. They cannot represent the Father because there's not a close enough relationship with him to be convinced that he is who they need. The Philadelphians, on the other hand, were convinced, and that's why they did not deny the Father. The fourth thing that we see is it says that they kept his commands. They kept his commands because their hearts were free. Listen the voices that are crying the loudest for liberality or for liberty may be the person who is in greatest bondage. Think about the pressure that is putting, being put on the uh, Christian values from mainstream culture and how they are wanting to be wanting the Christian values to accept their values. Anyone that opposes the liberal views is then targeted as being narrow, racist, or bound by dogmatic views that really narrow down the field of options for them. They want liberty to do as their soul pleases. They want no boundaries, no restrictions, no one to whom they must give an account. And really, little do they realize that in that state of how, of what really constitutes freedom for them, they think having no boundaries is what really brings them freedom and li liberty. But it really doesn't. But it's also true that it's not only out there in the world I think the, again, I'm just going to, with a broad stroke of the brush, I think the church has also bit into this false view as well. The concept of brotherhood has for the most part, or is for the most part, being rapidly lost in the church today. In the scope of Christianity, I would propose that there are very few who know what it's like to live and function as New Testament believers. There's a prevailing spirit of individualism that has hit the Western church broadside, and, and I have a concern about that. People have a false notion that what goes on in their life is between them and God, and it is, it is their business 
And no, no one should interfere with that. The trickle-down effect of that belief, when it is fully manifested, shows when, when, when they choose to do as they wish, even if it violates Scripture. Many would say, hey, if I choose to divorce and remarry, so be it. That's mine. That's between me and God. If I choose to take somebody to court because they violated me, that's between me and God. Don't, don't, you don't have anything to say about that. And this attitude has brought us to really, if you stop and think about it, a very appalling state for the church at large. Let's just think about some of these. Today, we know that, ramp, the, that abortion is rampant. And, and let me just pause to say right now that it's not just out there in the world. It has hit the Christian church. It has hit the conservative church. It has hit the Amish church, I'm told. And that's sad. When the church has, has, has fallen to this, to this kind of... And, and, and part of it, I think, part of what is behind that is this whole individualistic mindset where I am free to make the decisions I want. Same-sex marriages. I mean, we now have churches that are splitting apart because they're wanting to bring in um, uh, homosexuals as pastors of the church. And it, it's, it's, it's an abomination to God. Women pastors uh, is something that's very prevalent. It's not... <clears throat> God clearly in his, path, in his word says that that's not to be. It's not chauvinist. <laughs> it's just what the word of God says. I didn't make that rule. I didn't make that command. I, but it's what God says. And they, because of the order of headship that he has placed, that he has set up. And by the way, that whole order of headship is for our own protection. And we're going to see that even for the children who are born under that. It's, it's, it's to function the way that God has designed it best to function. Divorce and remarriage is rampant. Statistically higher in the church than in mainstream culture. Isn't that? That's, what is with that? And yet God takes the marriage and, and says that, that uh, uh, this is what the church and, and, and the relationship between Christ and the bride looks like. And, and we're, we're divorcing, remarrying left and right, and it's just like something is wrong. Common law marriages. Uh, we just saw that time and time and time again up north. I mean, it was just, it was so common. Uh, it was almost more common to have common law marriages than, than a real marriage. Um, pornography, it's just rampant. Movies, internet, uh, <clears throat> websites, you name it, it is all around us. And it has hit many, many, many people within the walls of the church. And uh, these are the kinds of things that God says we shouldn't even, it's too shameful to even talk about. And people are caught up in this vice. <clears throat> Fornication, pre-marriage pregnancies, and adultery is just rampant and so just all around us. Again, these are the things that God said are an abomination to him. Questions about the authenticity of Scripture. Saying, eh, you know, yeah, 
God said that, but you know, eh, that was maybe cultural back then. That's just, let's just write it off as cultural back then. Hey, if God said it, that's what it is. We can't deviate from that, culture or not. Being sympathetic to an old earth creation uh, rather than a, than a, uh, than a uh, new earth. Uh, two income families. And I put that, and you might say, no, wait a minute, James. No, wait a minute, James. Now you're putting that in with the rest of these that you're mentioning. All I want to say, all I want to say is two things. One is, number one, is that back when in the Garden of Eden, when God, when man sinned, and then God dealt his judgment in, or, or gave his judgment to Satan, and then he said some things to Adam and Eve, one of the things that he said is that Adam, from this point forward, you are going to be the bread earner of the, of, of, of the family structure. And, and to Eve, you are going to, your job is going to revolve around your children and your home. The second thing I want to say is that statistics show that when two income families hit America, the divorce rate spiked. And uh, I'm just saying, you know what? When we start deviating from, from God's ways and his principles, there's a price that comes along with that. And so let's just guard ourselves. Uh, <clears throat> unisex clothing, it's just, we don't even, we don't even think about it. Now listen, it's only been 60, 80 years ago that this came in. But it just seems so common to us, we don't even think about it. Uh, maybe 100 years ago. But these are things that are not that far removed from our past. And uh, just biblical ordinance is not being followed. This is, this is the church today. I'm, I'm, I'm stroking it with a broad brush. I realize that. Um, but when, when what becomes common or when this becomes, these things become the norm, what really do we have to offer the world? What distinguishes us from the world? Many of these sins stem and originate, I think, from an individualistic mindset that has swept the, the, the church at large. And, um, and I think we need to really I think we need to really guard against that. I, the other thing that I just would like to say that, you know, it's easy for us to think that, well, yeah, that's still out there somewhere. But, you know, in our circle, well, it, well it's different in our circles. And I would just like to say that, you know, I, I think we too have been influenced. I know I've been influenced by this individualistic mindset or this value system. It just shows on our different guys was reminded recently that in, in the whole concept of brotherhood, and that's just where I want to focus in the last part of this message, that our, our culture has, is so designed anymore that it, it takes great effort for us to create a sense of community. See, years ago, when people were on the farm, and, and uh, you were farming for a living and your family and your grandpa was on the farm and dad was on the farm and son was on the farm and then you were too poor to be able to have all the equipment on your farm 
So you got together with six, seven, eight farmers in your area, and, and you went together and bought some equipment. And so you thrashed your wheat together, and you shared the plow, and, and you worked together. And, and there was a sense of community that happened by deep, just, by, just by virtue of, of, of work. Today, we've gone into, we, we're a very industrial uh, culture. And so we've gone to the workplace. And, and really, think about it. Many of us don't see each other but once a week for about two hours. And we're supposed to create community out of that. Now, maybe that's one reason why God said, don't forget the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And so maybe that's a good opportunity. Just that midweek uh, time of getting together is just one other way for us to create a sense of community and brotherhood and working together and getting to know each other and and. and, and, and Giving the uh, a, a perspective that that is uh, is not found in a lot of in a lot of churches. The word Philadelphia, I found interesting, is is actually means brotherly love. Um, it's it's derived from a word that means brotherly love. The scripture uses this term quite frequently, or, or numerous times, and I just like to look at those real quickly. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with Philadelphia, or brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. But concerning Philadelphia, or brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Somehow these uh, references aren't quite, uh, the format is somehow a little bit different than I had at home. But that's found in 1 Thessalonians 4.9. In uh, Hebrews 13.1, let Philadelphia, or brotherly love, continue. I apologize about the format there. But that phrase there, let Philadelphia continue. And then in 1 Peter 1.22, since ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, or Philadelphia, let love one another fervently with a pure heart. And then again in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, and that's where it's talking about add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, to uh, self-control godliness, and to godliness Philadelphia, and to Philadelphia uh, love. And I find it interesting that he distinguishes between brotherly love and agape love. Brotherly love has the idea of fraternal love. Or a family love, what families have for each other. The concept of brotherly love, and that's where I want to just focus in the last couple minutes here, on the whole concept, I want you to think about the concept of brotherly love or community. The concept of brotherly love is reiterated numerous times in scriptures. It denotes a fraternity relationship that had its origins even back at the early church in in the book of Acts. Look at what this verse says. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say of, uh, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Three things that contribute 
to brotherhood and community. They were of one heart. The, the, there was not a disconnect in their heart with each other. They were of one soul. And then finally, they had all things in common. The early church birthed this concept. And it has been a trait of every New Testament believer since that time. I'm not advocating here that we should live communally. That's, I'm not advocating that at all. I am one who strongly believes in the concept of, of community and of brotherhood, though, outside of communal living. Uh, and, and, and by the way, let me just clarify the right kind of community. Um, I haven't seen it, but I'm told that um, Hillary Clinton wrote a book, and I think it's simply entitled Community. It takes a community. That's how it works. It takes a village. Thank you. And, and her concept is that it takes a public school, it takes a daycare center, it takes a YMC, it takes a, you know, and all these things that the, ch that the family is supposed to offer for the children. And, and so wherever there's a concept that God has set up, Satan will always come along with an alternative to try to create something that, that is not true. So it's the right kind of community that we're looking for. In theory, living in close community is, very, is, is attractive because it speaks to something deep within to belong and to participate in something larger than ourselves. Now think about that. I have encouraged my sons to step outside of our family to find good men in their lives that can speak into their lives because I know I don't have everything to give to them. I need somebody bigger than myself to speak into, my, into their lives. I want other people to speak into their lives. And same with my daughters. Uh, I appreciate the fact that they work with Martha. I think that's a good thing. I think she has a lot to be able to, to give to them and to offer to them. So we want something greater than ourselves. One of the greatest gifts that a parent can give their child is to teach them that life is bigger than themselves or than them, the, just them uh, as, as a child. Man is selfish at heart. And so it takes due diligence on the part of the parent to teach their child that life does not revolve around them. And so in order to, to drive this truth home, God created the structure of the family. And, he, and, and, and where there was, there were, there's a dad, where there's a mom, and where there are siblings... Uh, should God uh, bless them with that and where man does not take it into their own hands to not have that? But unfortunately, with the breakdown